Who's your trusted source when it comes to your facility questions, concerns, and needs? Ours is Hard True, the world's largest manufacturer of tennis court surfaces, equipment, and accessories for over 90 years. Partner with their trusted team of experts, along with collegiate greats Jamie Loeb, Alex Rybakov, and Dustin Taylor to bring the surface provider of over 30 professional events annually to your facility. Whether it's the red clay of the Houston ATP, the green clay courts of the Charleston WTA, or the official hard court of World Team Tennis, Hard True has you covered. If you're looking to build a court, convert a hard court to clay, or simply resurface your hard court, work together with Hard True in their mission to lead the tennis industry by creating better places to play. To learn more about their state-of-the-art surfaces, along with their catalog customizable on-court accessories, check out hardtrue.com or call 877-442-7878 today. That's hardtrue.com or 877-442-7878 today. daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, February 25th. On today's show, I want to talk about all of the action going on throughout the tennis world. I'm going to comment on Coco Goff showing off why we all think she is going to be so great throughout her career. A fantastic performance in a three-set win for her in Adelaide. Going to set the scene for tonight's semifinals in our one WTA event of the week. Also want to talk about the three ATP 250s we have going on in Singapore, Montpellier, and Cordoba. Going to comment on the two challengers we have this week. And then want to talk about some of the off-court news, in particular the announcement of the reduction, significant reduction, in the prize money being offered by the Miami Open uh, here in 2021. Of course, the reason we are able to do this day in, day out on this mini-break podcast because of the incredible support we get from you listeners because of our awesome Patreon family and seriously to know we have a group of you out there who not only are financially willing to commit to us but of course you know emotionally support all of the things that we try to do whether it be on our YouTube channel the various podcasts the broadcast it means the world to us if you are interested in joining our Patreon family you can find the link on our Cracked Rackets website and of course the reason we're able to do this day in day out because of the support we get from our friends at Midwest Sports go to MidwestSports.com use that promo code CR15 to get 15% off your order free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75 best of all a free can of Wilson extra duty tennis balls midwestsports.com the promo code is CR15 also want to briefly mention if you listened earlier in the week you heard David Gertler join me for a recap of the latest ATP challenger action on that podcast we joked that he was going to write an article on the Serendolo brothers Juan Manuel and Francisco uh, for our website he ended up doing just that, and it's particularly pertinent given Juan Manuel Serendolo, the younger 
of the two brothers just knocked off Miramir Kasmanovic in Cordoba. So to learn more about the young Argentinian duo rising up the ATP ranks, go check out David's article on our website, CrackRackets.com. With that in mind, let's get into today's show, and let's start with the WTA event in Adelaide. It's our only WTA-level event of the week, and it's produced some very, very fun results. Now, last night we had the quarterfinal rounds, and I have to say... A fantastic slate of semifinal matches. Very fun contrast of style. Let's start with our only, or let's start with one of our two, I should say, three set quarterfinal matches of the event. I want to do a deep dive breakdown on this match because Coco Golf was spectacular in her 2 6 6 4 6 4 victory over Shelby Rogers. Now, it wasn't the cleanest tennis from her from start to finish, but what was so spectacular about her performance was the way she made adjustments throughout the course of the match, and the numbers from this match, the statistics, kind of bear those adjustments kind of blatantly uh, for all of us who followed the match with our eyes, and it was the way Coco Goff went about taking time away from Shelby Rogers, particularly at the back half of sets number two and three. Now, in set number two, Coco Goff was trailing for a, by a break for the majority of it, and Ended up getting the break back, I believe, 4-4-3, holding 4-4 all from there. Again, she takes a 6-4 set, so I guess she won the last four games, maybe five games of the set. She also trailed by an early break of Shelby Rogers twice in that third set before coming back to take it 6-4. And what she did so well was prevent Rogers from hitting forehands off of her front foot. And, you know, in particular, what she did well was attacking the second serve of Rogers as the match went on. That's how she was able to take control of the point. You look for Rogers. She was 7 of 12 on second serve points. So, you know, 58% in the first set. She was then 4 of 12, you know, 33% in that second set in set number three, 2 of 10, 20%. Now, you know, for Shelby Rogers, why those numbers are so significant, she was for the match only at a 58% mark for her first serve. Goth's ability to attack that second serve, not even get that ball down the line and hit a winner with her second serve return, although she did do that on more than a few occasions, but just her ability to play that ball deep into the court at the feet of Shelby Rogers, not let Shelby Rogers set up and take that big forehand cut or just, you know, when she would hit the ball to the Rogers due side of the court, excuse me, she would do a really good job of ensuring Rogers at the very least was either on the move or in the outer third of the court. And Look, there were times in this match when Shelby Rogers played the sort of tennis that has gotten her back into the top 50 of the WTA ranking. She blitzed through Goff through that first set, really through that first set and a half, through that 4-1, 4-2 lead she took in the second set by playing big plus one tennis. There were times when Coco Goff, either the second serve of Goff, and, you know, uh, Rogers was 13 of 34, 38% on her second serves. Goff was 12 of 27 at 44%, so she really wasn't that much better. The key for Goff, she was able to make a higher percentage of first serves and then, you know, ultimately save six of the 12 break points she faced versus converting six of the 10 break point chances she had. Uh, but the big thing, Goff, you know, there were times when Goff would hang a second serve Server, her ground strokes, and she is only, what, still 16, 17 years old, would sit a little bit in the center of the court, and just Rogers was able to overwhelm her, particularly on that forehand side with uh, the pace and with, obviously, her placement of that shot, and so, uh, you know, Shelby Rogers 
was in position to win this match, and it's a credit to the way Coco Goff continues to scrap and claw. Her resilience is the best trait of her game right now. I mean, the serve's really good. Her movement is spectacular. Her ability to catch that backhand early and take it cross court, take it down the line, and again, her her mind at work out there, the adjustments she makes match in, match out, it's all really, really special, but Man, the way she competed in this match, I mean, she could have let Rodgers just say, you know what, I'm not ready to compete with someone with the power of Shelby Rodgers, but that's not who Coco Goff is. And, you know, she started elevating, hitting these loopy, high topspin, high clearance over the net uh, sort of shots to buy herself time. And just, you know, she began opening up the courts, playing more short angles and moving forward when she could. And just anytime she saw a slice from Rodgers, taking that ball early, the entire skill set of Coco Golf was on display, and now obviously Golf reaches the semifinals here in Adelaide, or not obviously, perhaps you did not know that, but she does make the semifinals here in Adelaide, and you look for Coco Golf, and of course, you know, she has the two big results at the slams, and those will always jump up to us. But right now, Coco Golf is sixteen and nine in her last fifty-two weeks of tour events, and they've all been tour-level events, so obviously that's spectacular for her, but you look, you know, you're thinking to yourself, perhaps, how many semifinals has Coco Goff played in her young career? This will only be her third semifinal. She made one in Linz back in October of 2019, ended up knocking off Andrea Petkovic, who is a part-time Tennis Channel Podcast Network family member, so shout out to her. Um, She also... Uh, lost the semifinals to Jen Brady in Lexington at the beginning of the restart last season. And now, you know, she's going to have a really tricky match on her hand as she's going to take on Jennifer uh, Jennifer Brady, excuse me, as she is going to take on Belinda Bencic. So it should be a really fun one. And of course, Belinda Bencic, just quickly, uh, for those of you who are curious, straight set win for her, 6-2-6-4 over Storm Sanders of Australia. Man, has Bencic started to look better and better, and you look for Belinda Bencic uh, now, what she has done, you know, really since the restart of play here in January, because she didn't play much. She didn't play the New York swing at the beginning, or at the beginning of the restart last year, but now, you know, in her first event back, she lost her first match to Serana Kirstea, 7-5-6-2 in Australia, three-set wins over Laura Davis, three-set win over Svetlana Kuznetsova before losing in straights to Elisa Mertens. Now, she hasn't been really tested yet thus far here in Adelaide. Straight set wins over Masaki Doi and Sanders, but she looks like she's inching back closer and closer to her 2019 form. Both Sanders and Doi would leave balls in the center of the court and just can't do that against a confident Belinda Bencic who's hitting the line so well, who's driving and playing aggressive tennis, and she seems fit as a fiddle. She's just playing really, really good ball. And so, <clears throat> excuse me for uh, that bench golf match. Look, golf's going to have to take risks, be aggressive, step up inside the baseline on that second serve return, and you know get Benchich stretched to the outer thirds because when Benchich gets stretched, she'll hit the slice, and then you know golf will have time to move Benchich around the court, keep her on her back foot. But you know, again, if if Goff hangs balls in the center of the court like she did through the first set and a half against Shelby Rogers. The way Benchich is playing right now, uh, and you know, to be honest, the way Benchich probably a little bit better on the backhand wing than Shelby Rogers. It could be problems for Coco Goff, so I'm so excited for that match. The contrast in styles, two players who are playing very well, very confident tennis should be a really good one. Of course, our other half of the semifinals. 
normally I would be super excited for the Iga Sviantek Jill Teichman match that we have. Sviantek six three three love advance via retirement over Danielle Collins, who just kind of ran out of gas in that second set, and she's played so much tennis of late, so you can understand that. Sviantek continues to look really, really good and clearly hitting her stride that nexus of confidence and skill set, meeting that perfect balance where you can really start to have some nice results on tour, but you know, in Teichman, she's going to play a player who was stretched physically to the limit yesterday against Sevastova. Teichman, you know, losing her first six match points, then fighting off three match points herself in the third set to take a 6-4, 7-5 victory over Sevastova. And listeners of this podcast will know I fell in love with Jill Teichman during that Lexington run she had last season where, you know, Teichman, I believe, didn't drop a set on her way to the final before she ended up losing to Jennifer Brady. Of course, everyone was losing to Jennifer Brady. Still are on hard courts, but Teichman now 17-11 and 11 in her last 52 weeks. She made the quarterfinals last week before losing in three sets to Buzkova here. Wins over Mladenovic, Chung Wang, and Anastasia Sevastova, uh, two of them in three sets to make the semifinals. And again, for the 23-year-old now who came into the week number 61 in the rankings, you look in the live rankings for Jill Teichman, and given how difficult it is to move up in the world, she can be, you know, she should feel obviously pretty, pretty good considering right now she is sitting right near her career high and in fact is currently, and I don't want to be wrong here, so again, Number 55, which is three off of her career high with this result. If she gets a win tomorrow, she will jump up to a new career high inside the top 50 of number 48. So obviously, Jill Teichman making moves. Once you're in the top 50, you can get into pretty much anything you want to play. I think her best surface is always going to be clay, given how big her backswing is on that forehand in particular, how well she moves the ball around the court. And she's also a really, really good athlete as well. Sevastova, you know, was attacking the outer thirds, taking balls early, but Teichman moves phenomenally well. And so just keep an eye on her. Again, it's a nice contrast to some of the overwhelming power players we see at the top of the women's games right women's game right now Jill Teichman uh, can absolutely ball and look again I would feel good about her I would think on her best day she can absolutely give Sviantek a run with just the heavy top spin and the way she's going to hit Sviantek off of her spots but such a physical three-set battle for her yesterday I'm definitely leaning uh, Sviantek in that match still hopefully Teichman is feeling good physically because if she is it should be a very very fun match that's the action in Adelaide kind of want to rapid fire through all of these ATP events now and you know with all due respect thus far they haven't produced the most exciting results I suppose Singapore of the three have that you look at today's results we had the back half of our round of 16 mostly seeds advancing number one seed Adrian Manorino straight set victory over Roberto Moncora number eight seed Sun Wukwan fresh off of a challenger title victory last week on indoor hard courts two good wins for him already this week over Ty Kwiatkowski and now uh, Yasutaka Uchiyama, a 3-4 and four victory for Kwan, who just, he's quick, 
He's explosive. It's twitchy power. It's very, very fun indoors. He's able to keep everything out in front. He's in such control. Uh, And obviously, he's playing confident tennis right now. So much needed ATP level quarterfinal result for him. It's kind of a challenger-esque draw in Kwiatkowski and Uchiyama. And I say that respectfully, especially given how thin the lines are right now between players ranked 150 to 300 and players ranked in the top 100. Uh, But you know, for Quan, it's that confidence, and it makes all the difference, especially when you're playing a guy who makes as many balls as Uchiyama. So great result for Sunwoo Kwan. I, it wasn't an upset, but Yannick Hoffman had multiple match points over number six seed Radu Elbot in the second set. Elbot able to come back 6-7-7-6-6-3 victory over Yannick Hoffman to advance to the quarterfinals. I have always... Just thought Yannick Hoffman's the definition of your modern player. 6'4", 6'5", can move pretty well. Good off of both wings, although the forehand's a little bit big on the backswing. Can be overwhelmed by pace, but comfortable playing the drop shot, moving forward. Very diverse skill set. Has the entire tool chest available to him. The way he lines up wide on the ad side to set up the plus one forehand, which so frequently he'll hit as a drop shot and follow in. It just screams Peter Smith tennis. Uh, But, you know... He had the match points. He played one really long rally, missed a forehand down the line by just like half an inch, and just, ugh. He absolutely should have won this match. It would have been huge for him to get this quarterfinal on a 250 on a hard court. But for Radu Elbot, a much-needed three-set win. And again, he did just enough. He scrapped, he clawed, he made enough balls, pressured the Hanifman forehand, clearly played some boys 12 styling, target the weaker side tennis, but it worked. And now he finds himself in the quarterfinals where I believe, and I don't want to be incorrect here, he will match up uh, against, nope, Radu Elbot's got Adrian Manorino. But the last winner we had on the day, Matthew Ebden, who the 33-year-old makes his 13th career ATP quarterfinal, first since July of 2019, first on a hard court since October of 2018, as he earns a straight set win over fellow countryman John Millman. So shout out to you, Matthew Ebden, wild card into the event, making the most of it by reaching the quarterfinals. And again, now your quarterfinals here tomorrow, it's going to be Elbot Manorino, it's going to be Ebden versus Popperin, another all-Australian battle. But then you know, in my opinion, those two are fine. The two really enjoyable ones on the day, contrast of size and style. Chilich versus Kwan, that'll be a doozy. And then Sasha Bublik, the big serving 6'6", Kazakh uh, player, taking on Yoshihito Nishioka, the five foot six, generously. Uh, incredibly crafty Japanese player and, uh, you know, just a guy who opens up the court so well. It's going to absorb that Bublik power. It's going to want to... It's, it's going to be a fun... Obviously, the Bublik serves the biggest shot on the court, and I think Sasha Bublik is in for a big season. I think he's starting to figure out how much talent he has, all the different things he can do on the court. So, yeah, that should be a very, very exciting matchup, and it should be a fun quarterfinal uh, Thursday night, Friday, whatever it is, uh, in Singapore. So that's ATP number one, ATP number two. And, again, I might go a little bit faster here on these next ones because that was probably the most interesting day of the group. You look in Montpellier. I guess your number three and four seeds go down, but, 
you know, do you consider it an upset given how well Dennis Novak has played to start the year? The fact that, you know, he got a couple wins under his belt at ATP Cup. He knocks off the deuce, Dusan Lajevic on indoor hard court, 7-6-7-5. You know, Davidovich Fokina, a 5-2 victory over Hubi Hercots. Davidovich Fokina was so good at the end of last season. I think it was back-to-back semifinals in those two uh, German indoor hard court events to end the year. And for him, you know, or I should say for his opponent, Hubi Hercots, it's continued inconsistency. One week he's looking phenomenal. The next week he's struggling to make four balls in a row. And so, you know, Davidovich Fokina was just the more solid of the two players. Got Hercots stretched to the outer third. And then when Hercots got tentative, played more aggressively and just, you know, took it to Hercots. Didn't let him gain any confidence. Didn't give him anything for free. It's a great victory for ADF to advance to the quarterfinals. Your other winners on the day, Igor Gerasimov, 4-6 and six over Badene. Gojewitz, three-set win over Yuri Besley. And then number one seed, Roberto Bautista Agut, 6-love, six 6-3 six over Gregoire over Gregoire Beret. Hey, great shot to me. That sets up tomorrow's quarterfinal rounds. Four good ones up and down the board. You've got uh, Davidovich Fotikina taking on Gerasimov, Peter Gojewicz taking on Denis Novak, and then two, I would say, slightly higher profile matches. Lorenzo Sinego taking on David Goffin. Sinego, of course, the title at the end of last season. David Goffin still struggling to find his form, was so lucky to escape his first round match, second round of the tournament, with a three-set win over Benjamin Bonsai. That should be a fun one. And then you know, one of the quietly hottest players, five hottest players to end the 2020 ATP season, Ugo Umber, who was a 6-7-7-6-7-6 winner over Italian Greek Spore. Uh, he's got Roberto Bautista Agut next. And if you're going by recent form, like Umber has been the better player. And, you know, if you don't have a big weapon to hit Umber off of his spot, he's sneaky tall, sneaky good first serve, is going to play plus one with his forehand. But, you know, if he has time, he's going to move you around. He's going to play to, you know, to the outer thirds, open things up for his inside-in forehand and inside-out forehand, which is what he wants to be playing with. Uh, you know, upset alert for the number one seed, but if Umber wins tomorrow, I don't know if it's actually an upset. So that should be a really fun match. Uh, and then your last uh, ATP tournament going on right now, and it actually still hasn't finished for the day, is as I'm recording this, Diego Schwartzman has yet to play his match. But in Cordoba, Juan Manuel Serrandolo, 6-7-7-5-6-2, as I mentioned, over number three seed Mirmir Kasmenovic, and then Diego Montiero, a 3-4 and four win over Roberto Carbeas Benia, still to play there on the day. Schwartzman, Cecinato, and then Echeverry versus Ramos Vinoles. So we still got some action to go in Cordoba. We'll do better to update you on those scores tomorrow. Uh, again, in terms of what we've got right now for our quarterfinals, it'll be Correa versus Pear, Montero versus Serendolo, Bagnus versus Kovalik, and then the winners of those Schwartzman, Cecinato, Echeverri, Ramos, Vinolas matches respectfully. That's your ATP action. We do have two challengers that have particularly intriguing draws and results. Want to run through those finally. Pranesh Gunaswaran. 3-6, love over Braden Schnur in the match that, as I branded yesterday, was the match of players who need confidence. We also had Henry Laxanen, another three-set win over Borna Gojo. Believe that was a rematch from Australian Open qualifying. Believe it was a similar three-set win for Laxanen on that occasion as well. Yuri Rodionov finally finding his form here in the early parts of 2021. He earns a 3-2 and two win over Tatsuma Ito. And then Thomas Mahak, the incredible 
incredibly talented young player from the Czech Republic who we talked about a lot on our ATP Challenger recap in 2020, talked about a lot at the end of last season on a bunch of mini breaks. Another great victory for him. He follows up his win over number two seed in this event, Evgeny Donskoy, with another three-set win over Max Martyrer. He'll take on Rodionov tomorrow if he's got any gas left in the tank. That should be a really exciting match. And you just look, by the way, at our quarterfinals here at the North Sultan Challenger. Mackie McDonald versus Federico Silva. Sign me up for that. Casper Zouk versus Henry Laxanen. Hello. Martin Klezan versus Pranesh Gunaswaran. I'm there. And then Yuri Rodionov versus Tomek Mahak. A little bit of next-gen action. That is what it's all about, folks. So fun challenger number one on the weekend. Challenger number two, of course, happening on on the clay in Spain. Our number one seed, Lorenzo Musetti, knocked off. He was a finalist last week uh, on a hard court, so I suppose it's always tough to make that transition, but he did withdraw from next week's event as well. Alex Mokan knocking off Musetti 7-6-7-6. Your other winners on the day, Nikola Miljovic, the four seed straight set win over Lestien. Philip Horansky, the number eight seed straight set win over Gianmarco Moroni and then Andrea Pellegrino straight set win over Roberto Ortega Olmedo that sets up tomorrow's quarterfinals Mokan versus Horansky Banadi versus Diaz Pellegrino versus Miljovic and Trungaleti versus Enzo Caucad so it should be a really fun day. Of course, I didn't mention any of the ITF futures actions going on across the globe. College tennis picking up its weekend play tomorrow. Uh, you know, a ton of great matches across the board quickly, actually. Just for any of you who are curious, you know, between all the pro action, are there any college matches you might want to check out tomorrow? Yes, there absolutely are. You look on the men's side. Top 25 battles between Virginia traveling to NC State. Number five, TCU, a top 10 battle. Traveling to USC, you've also got Mississippi State traveling to Virginia, uh, traveling, excuse me, to Tennessee. Uh, So a bunch of good matches on the men's side on Friday. You look for the women on Friday. A bunch of good ones as well. Oklahoma State traveling to Pepperdine. Top 10 battle between number 9, NC State traveling to Florida State. UCLA, USC part one. I know Auburn's taking on Vanderbilt. LSU taking on Florida. Believe Ohio State takes on Michigan on Sunday. So again, that's a Sunday match. But tomorrow in general from sunrise to sundown, we have phenomenal tennis on our hands. Hopefully you will watch it all and check back in with us on tomorrow's mini break podcast. With that in mind, quickly some non-tennis news before we wrap today's show. Uh, the big news coming from, of course, across, uh, I suppose, and at Tennis Majors, Tennis Majors, the news organization, but that the total prize money at the Miami Open will go down from $16.7 million in 2019, which was the last time they hosted the event because last year's was canceled due to COVID, to three, uh, excuse me, to three point three four million in twenty twenty one. I believe that number is incorrect. I believe it's six point six eight million. There it is. So down from sixteen point seven million in total prize money for the men and women to six point six eight million or three point three four million each for the men and women this season. So again, individually, it's down from eight point three five to three point three four in total, sixteen point seven to six point six eight. The singles winners this 
this year, going to get $300,000, which obviously in a pandemic at any point, you sign up for that tomorrow. If that's what the U.S. government announces are the next stimulus package that probably locks in Joe Biden's reelection for the next 17 terms, we'll change the Constitution if that's what he's doing. Anyways, singles winners get $300,000, but that's down from $1.35 million in 2019, almost 80%. And Look, that is a drastic number. You look at some of the other rounds. Runner-ups now, 165,000. Semi-finalists, 93. Quarter-finalists, 65. Fourth round, 40. Third round, 26,000. Second round, 16,000. Round one, 10,000. This is a master's event, folks. This speaks to the drastic impact if these tennis tournaments can't have fans on site because we've talked about the TV contracts before for a master's event, excuse me, TV contract about 21% of the total revenue they take in normally. Those numbers coming from Sports Business Journal's Brett McCormick. Hopefully you all listened to those shows back from last year. If you didn't, you can find them on the Mini Break podcast feed. They hold up. Uh, But this isn't great. And again, it speaks to the fact that this sort of news comes unexpectedly. We knew there were always going to be prize money cuts, but that it just seems like this is just, you know, there was no preparation. There was no, that's not the right way of saying this. There was plenty of preparation, but, you know, there's no long-term negotiation. It's not like, well, we're going to, you know, the Grand Slams, we'll, we'll make sure, we'll take some of the prize money from the Grand Slams to cover the other events right now. The distribution of revenue and to ensure maximum efficiency. There is no formal, you know, the ATP, the WTA, all of these different entities. We've talked about it before. It's such a choppy system. It's so difficult to negotiate a pandemic right now. And Look, there's been public response right away. John Isner coming out yesterday saying the ATP is a broken system. Players and tournaments as partners need to work together. But a 60% cut and 80% champion overall and an 80% champions cut in one of our biggest events that has TV, data, sponsorship, and newly approved gambling revenue intact isn't a partnership at all. He goes on to say, how about a true audit to see how much attorneys are actually hurting and then a money formula after the event to reconcile. Amazing we still don't have this in a lot of our big events events. How does that make any sense? Uh, sense? He goes on to say tennis is run like an intramural sport, yada, 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 take some shots at organizers, talent representatives, etc., etc. Lack of transparency, yada, 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 big terms, flash words, buzzwords, whatever. But speaks to a broader point, and he talks about the comparison between tennis and golf, and, you know, at Vestige Du Jour, who does some of the best analytics in tennis, uh, talked about, uh, made a comparison in the prize money, and, you know, the ATP top six, they make more than the PGA top six, but the PGA earned, on average, two times more money by ranking a range from 10 to 100 than ATP players did. So if you're ranked 10 to 100 as a golfer, you're doing way better than 10 through 100 as a tennis player. It gets even worse as you go from ranking range 100 to 200. Now, PGA money drops off very fast after the top 200. And one could ask, perhaps limiting it to the top 200 is why those PGA players at the top make more money. And, you know, in tennis, it says the 620th ranked singles player still nets 10K in prize money, which again is not a livable wage. But nevertheless, um, you know, it speaks to some of the broader issues that the players at the top six of the ATP are doing better than the PGA, and then the PGA subsequently is doing better in position seven through 200. Uh, that speaks to, to some of the inefficiencies, the inequalities in the current construct of tennis. And, you know, it's just, it, it's absolutely something for all of us to keep in mind. And it's a larger issue and something we will bring on an expert to explore on this podcast over the next couple of weeks. But just wanted to note that 
for all of you at home. Also wanted to note, for those of you curious, Serena Williams, Naomi Osaka, women's semifinal, 1.41 million viewers on ESPN2, peaked at 1.63 for the final 15 minutes. The full telecast, which ran after 2 a.m., averaged 806,000, the most-watched Australian Open window of any kind since the 2017 Nadal-Federer men's final. It was the most-watched semifinal telecast since that same tournament when Venus and Serena both won to advance to the final. Yeah. Uh, you know, women's tra- tennis can absolutely still draw Naomi Osaka. There's a reason she's the highest paid female athlete in the world. It's because her and Serena, you put them on a court, good things are going to happen for ratings, for sponsors, for everyone involved in the event. But that will do it for today's mini break podcast. And we're right around that 30 minute mark. So that feels about right, given it's a Han Solo sort of podcast. Of course, we will be back tomorrow to break down all of the quarterfinal matches. I know I've done a lot on the action in Adelaide. I'm going to probably lock in tomorrow on the ATP action from a viewing perspective, then watch college as the day goes on. You know, of course, we'll sneak in some challenger and women's talk as well. Uh, But of course, if you have missed any of the action, you need to catch up on anything going on in the tennis world. Be sure to check out our website, CrackRackets.com. You need those more immediate updates. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We are at CrackRackets. You want to message me directly, I am at GreatShotPod. Shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Flickner and Daniel Westoff, for the of an editing job they do day in, day out. Shout out as well to our friends at Midwest Sports. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15 to get 15% off your order. But with that in mind, for our wonderful super producers, Fligner and Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. We'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. 